Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland, on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. Been down a broken road now, I've been through that fire. There's angels holding on to both sides of the wire. All right, nine minutes after 10 o'clock, hour number two is now underway. We are going to forego our traditional President Reagan top of the hour open because we got out a little bit late with uh, uh, Jack Windsor. Last hour, and I do not want to keep our next guest waiting. He is one of my favorite people to talk to each and every week. Uh, Dr. Everett Piper is a former university president, best-selling author, Washington Times columnist, and a radio host, and a speaker as well out of Oklahoma. Joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Piper, good to have you. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. You threw me with that intro music. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I asked my board op. I said, let's, let's uh, ace President Reagan here just for this one time, and uh, we get what we get on the uh, rotator. <laughs> all right. Okay, uh, all right. All right. Uh, so, Dr. Piper, uh, a lot to get in here today. This country is um, in a very, very bad way right now. It is falling apart at the seams, and it is being fueled, this uh, destruction, I believe, by anarchists, uh, many of whom are useful uh, um idiots, if you will. Uh, they are the tools of those who have wished to deconstruct this society, this free capitalist uh, 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 capitalist economy and our, our constitutional republic in favor of a socialist model uh, bordering on full-on communism. And these tools are being used by leaders. And sadly, as you wrote in your column for the Washington Times this week, Many of those leaders are working in our institutions, um, not just of higher learning at the collegiate level, but even at the public school level, the high school level. Uh, they are behind the children who are growing up in their you know, millennial years and turning into these anarchists that are causing uh, all of this destruction and this chaos. Can you shed a little bit more light on the role of the schools and the educational system in the destruction of, what's, uh, of this country right now? Essentially, this is my one-string banjo. I go back to this time and time again, and the reason is pretty obvious. I mean, this was my industry. I made my career in the ivory tower in higher education, and I think I have the right, if not the responsibility, to critique my own. Mm -hmm. So for those that might be offended, mm -hmm. let me first say this. I know there are good teachers. I recognize that. And you're in the belly of the beast. You're trying to fight the good fight. Good for you. But we have to recognize and admit that there is a beast. And the beast is our public school system, whether it be elementary school, whether it be secondary education, whether it be higher education. Our public school system, and unfortunately even some of our private schools, have sold their soul to intersectionality, critical race theory, socialism, Marxism, neo-Darwinism. This is what's being taught in our classrooms, and it has been taught for decades. So we shouldn't be surprised to see all of this stuff playing itself out in our streets. I know we, we see, like you know, I said in my article, Bob, if the burning cars and the destroyed monuments and the broken windows in Minneapolis and Seattle and New York haven't caught your attention, if tearing down statues of Frederick Douglass isn't a bridge too far, what is? When are we going to wake up and recognize that we've created this beast? We've created this monster. We are creating these self-absorbed, narcissistic, adolescents, perpetual adolescents that are patrolling our streets right now, and they're destroying the very free republic that we are trying to leave them as our progeny. We've got to recognize, we've got to recognize that what is taught in our classrooms is being practiced in our culture right now. And I'll, I'll take a breath after this. Abraham Lincoln said the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will become the philosophy of the government in the next. Garbage in, garbage out. Ideas are always going to have consequences. And when you stop teaching what 
John Adams told us we need to teach in order to have a free republic. He said our Constitution is good only for a moral and religious people and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. If we stop teaching morality, if we stop teaching religion, and that, and we have. Right now we teach young men how to use a condom, and we don't talk to them about how to have character and why it's important. When this is what our schools are known for, you're going to get chaos in the street. You anticipated my question with that last quote. I was going to read that quote you uh, gave from Lincoln, uh, but but I guess I'll read the one that follows it now, which is kind of interesting. You quote them back to back saying the same thing, the great emancipator and the great uh, uh, creator of genocide. Uh, Hitler said, let me control the textbooks and I will control the state. That is true no matter who is controlling the textbooks. If we have people of faith, if we have people of character, if we have people of morals, if we have people who are concerned about the advancement of a society controlling the curriculum, uh, we will indeed produce a faithful, uh, moral society. If we have people who are committed to anarchy controlling the curriculum, we're going to create anarchists. You said lechery as well. Teach lechery and you get lectures. Teach anarchy and you get anarchists. Yes, if the good people of history recognize the power of education. That's why the Ivy League was founded. It was founded as a Judeo-Christian educational model. Harvard, Dartmouth, Princeton, Yale. Yale's very missional statement, its founding charter called for this, and I quote, to lay Christ at the bottom as the foundation of all learning, unquote. It, I'll just read this one real quick paragraph out of my article. Um, in closing on this one, I, I say this. Your neighborhoods are burning and your schools rush to throw gasoline of resentment and recompense and revenge on the fire. Your teachers' unions and many of their members march in solidarity with Marxists while they malign capitalism. They defend the destruction of Antifa. They applaud the divisiveness of BLM. They wave their, wave, wave their rainbow banners while disparaging our country's flag. They deny the science of X and Y chromosomes while they call you the science denier. And as you know, I go on and on and on and say when we teach these bad ideas, you are going to get bad behavior and you're going to suffer the consequences therein. Dr. Piper, let's, I want to skip past and we'll come back to masking and, and vaccinations and what this means as far as controlling the people. But I want to stay on the schools then as it pertains to cancel culture, because this is something else that you have commented on, on quite about, quite a bit. Uh, cancel culture, PC indoctrination. Again, this is a product of our schools. Our children are being taught very early and very often that if you don't like something, you can make it go away. You can make it be canceled, if you will, to borrow the vernacular of the, of the modern time. Children are told if somebody offends you, they will be removed or they will be punished or we will separate them from you so you don't have to see their offense anymore. If somebody says something or does something that makes you uncomfortable, they will be removed. So cancel culture is being taught in our schools and now we see it impacting the lives of millions of people as corporations, as advertisers, you know, manufacturers and retailers that advertise on certain things that are considered to be offensive by some are boycotted, protested, and ultimately canceled. So we are, again, reaping what we sow, you know, what we teach to the very young they are going to practice when they are uh, of, of age. Absolutely. And frankly, the BLM protests and the riots you see in the street right now are essentially a cancel culture. It's the cancel culture of the campus green, the college green, our colleges and universities, it's that chicken coming home to roost. If you don't like the police, you cancel the police. If you don't like the local 
uh, district attorney's decision in prosecuting the rioters, then you call for that district attorney to be canceled, to be fired, to be removed from office. Uh, Cuba Hubbard, one of the nation's foremost running backs for the Oklahoma State University, has called for the firing, uh, for the resignation of an Oklahoma City district attorney because that district attorney has the audacity to prosecute rioters who torched a sheriff's van in Oklahoma City. So rather than <laughs> rather than these kids suffering the consequences for breaking the law, we have a running back who fancies himself as some sort of political advocate who's calling for the firing of the district attorney. So you cancel everything that you disagree with. You know what that's called? That's called fascism. <laughs> that isn't called intellectual freedom. And, you know, what's most interesting about that is the BLM people that you are talking about are marching alongside with and working in concert with Antifa, which fancies themselves as anti-fascist. They literally are practicing what their name says they oppose. It's, it's Isaiah 520. Woe unto him who calls evil good and good evil, bittersweet and sweet bitter. It's the complete reversal of definitions. Up is down and down is up. Good is evil and evil is good. Male is female. Female is male. Everything is upside down because we've uh, we've detached ourselves from the true north of a biblical worldview. Dr. Everett Piper is our guest on AM 1420. The answer, we'll use this as our break so we can come back and talk about the issue that I skipped over for a moment. Here in the state of Ohio, it was just announced yesterday, Dr. Piper, uh, that masks will be mandated in all public places. Our little tyrant in Columbus has said it, and uh, it shall be done. Uh, I want to talk about what mask mandates really are, and I want to talk about who supports them, and I want to talk about what the impact that is going to be on our communities and our society. When we come right back with Dr. Everett Piper on AM 1420, the answer. Now heard through downtown, through Greater Cleveland on 102.5 FM. It's the Bob France Authority. 1023. We continue now at AM 1420, The Answer. Dr. Everett Piper continues with us now. Uh, Dr. Piper, okay, uh, mask mandates are the new rage. President Trump is even getting on board. Now he has, I should clarify, he has not said he supports a mandate. He does not. But he does encourage people to wear them now. Two-thirds of Americans say that everybody should be wearing masks. And I'm fine with that. If two-thirds of the people choose them, not being forced, because it's my view, and I think it's a lot of other people's view, that making 330 million people wear a mask is the precursor to making 330 million people do a lot of other things, including perhaps in the interest of the common good, in the interest of general public safety and health, taking a vaccination, which I am told, or at least I have read, we are getting closer and closer to seeing uh, happen. Do you believe that this is what the end game is? A mandatory vaccination with Lord only knows what? Well, here's I'll ask a rhetorical question and mm-hmm. answer. Okay. Um, why wouldn't it be? Uh, mm-hmm. Again, ideas have consequences. So if our culture has bought the idea that we can be forced to wear a mask, which is marginally effective at best, in other words, it's not a 100% guarantee that you're not going to transfer the virus from one person to another. It's just an extra barrier that might actually help a little bit in stopping the transference of the disease. If we're going to buy the argument that that should be required of everybody, then why in the world wouldn't we be buying the argument that 
a vaccine that would have a higher degree of effectiveness could be imposed upon us and required of us. So are we going to lay down and give over our individual rights and accept the fact that a vaccine will be required of us? And if it's required of us, here's another rhetorical question. Mm -hmm. If it's required, what good is that requirement if there isn't some sort of forced tracking of those who have been vaccinated? Will we be forced to provide proof of vaccination in order to go into Walmart, to buy or to sell, to engage in general commerce? Will we be forced to carry a card that proves vaccination? And now I'm going to say, well, why carry a card? Why not get a digital tattoo of some sort on your wrist or on your body that proves you've been vaccinated? Are we really ready to open up Pandora's box and to force those types of things on a free people? Uh, Dr. Piper, that is, uh, that is not far off. Uh, are you aware, or was that just kind of off the cuff, what you said about a digital tattoo? Because somebody made me aware on this program about a month ago about the quantum dot digital tattoo implant to track movement. Um, and this is something that Gates, uh, and to track co- va- vaccine compliance. This is something that Bill Gates is apparently working on as we speak. No, I, I, I am aware of that. Now, there are some people listening that are going to say, oh, conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory, that, that'll never happen. Really? Well, if you and I would have been on the show six months ago and said, get ready, the entire economy is going to be shut down because of a virus that has less than 1% mortality rate for the nation, less than 1% mortality rate, and we're going to shut down the entire economy because of it. You and I would have been accused of being conspiracy theorists. Everybody would have said, well, that'll never happen. We'll put this one in your that'll never happen file, because if we're going to accept a mandate for masks, what logic is there for us to refuse a mandate for a virus? And the mandate for the virus, I'm repeating myself, I know, but people need to hear this. The mandate for a virus would be meaningless if there isn't some sort of mandate or required tracking of those that have been inoculated and have received the vaccine. You need to write a book, uh, another book, rather, and you need to just title it, That'll Never Happen. And you, Because you said it's a file. It's growing, Dr. Piper. Every week that I talk to you, this comes up. That'll never happen. That'll never happen. And then you point out all these things that you, we thought would never happen, and yet here they are. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I'm terrified of the idea of a mandatory uh, uh, vaccination, and whether it's a, with a quantum dot tattoo that they check you, or you know what they're doing now, uh, the new driver's licenses, uh, and I think this is nationwide, I guess, but I can only speak to Ohio, but the new driver's licenses include like a punch code on the edge of them that doubles as a passport, and you soon, after another year, I think, won't be able to fly, even domestically, without that you know kind of passport part of your driver's license so maybe there's another little digital punching that they can do on your license to prove you've been tattooed and if you don't uh or tattooed excuse me vaccinated and if you don't have it then you won't be allowed to travel or you won't be allowed to purchase or as you see engage in commerce well that the most frightening thing about the virus right now is not the danger of uh, contracting it and dying of it because anybody that's got a logical head on their shoulders has to conclude that the data demonstrates that the the majority of us, the heavy majority of us, aren't going to die of this particular virus. We're just not going to. It is far There's less no lethal than they predicted. Far, it's probably Absolutely. it's probably far more infectious. You know, it's easier to get than they thought, but it's far less dangerous to get it. Absolutely, and nobody could claim otherwise if they're just looking at the medical data. What we do know, however, is that. 
the thing that is going to die is our constitutional freedoms, because in the state of Ohio, you can't buy and sell and go about business without a mask now. And will that requirement for a mask turn into a requirement for a vaccination tomorrow? The odds are yes. And the good news is there are vaccines that are being tested right now that show promise. Oxford announced just this last week that there's a vaccine that's shown great promise in its initial testing. Great. I'm, I'm celebrating that. But should you be forced to, uh, to, to be inoculated with that vaccine, number one? And number two, what good is it if they don't track you after you've been inoculated? Because well, how, how's anybody going to know? And you know that our government officials are going to make this argument. Even our Republicans that are supposedly guarding our constitutional freedoms are already compromising those freedoms by virtue of these other little edicts like now. A hundred percent correct. And that's what I'm very, very concerned about. We are giving the government more and more power. People make fun of us. People make fun of me. People make fun of others uh, when we say we're not wearing a mask because. And they, oh, what are you worried about? You know, this is so harmless. It doesn't do anything. Why are you being so difficult? They don't understand. It's a step. It's a step in a, in a, in a journey that will end up with us essentially losing our freedoms. And that's what, uh, we need to keep sounding the alarm about. Consider the book, by the way. Consider the book. I think it's a fantastic idea. You'll ne- seriously, it'll, ne- that will never happen by Dr. Everett Piper. And then we're going to have chapters of things that were never going to well, happen. We'll co-author it. Okay. I'm with you. I, I absolutely, I'd love to do that. Dr. Piper, thank you. It's always a pleasure. All right. Bless you. 1030. Time for news. On the flip side, we continue. I told you we're heavy with guests today, and indeed we are. Coming up, Jim Simpson uh, of Red Green Access Exposed is going to be holding another national security briefing. His guest on Sunday, his guest speaker, will be Brad Johnson, retired CIA, CIA operations officer and multiple-time chief of station. That's a big deal, by the way. They will both join me next on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 1035. Thanks again for joining us on AM 1420. The answer, great, great analysis from Dr. Everett Piper. Great insight also from Jack Windsor in our number one. If you missed any of the interviews on the Bob France Authority, make sure you go to our webpage, whkradio.com. Click on the podcast tab at the top. Look down for local podcasts. Go to the Bob France Authority. And uh, uh, we normally uh, identify who is on during what hours. And it's very easy for you to click and listen or download um whatever you would like but make sure you tune in if you uh if you don't hear uh these conversations live make sure you tune in to people like dr everett piper by way of the podcast joining us now as our guest uh, cavalcade continues is uh jim simpson jim simpson of course is one of the founders of uh the red green axis exposed he is a former congressional candidate uh he's a economist and budget examiner for the white house office of management or was rather and budget under presidents reagan bush one and clinton and he's an expert on immigration and refugee resettlement, among other things. Uh, joining us once again here on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Jim. How are you? Hey, Bob. Great to be with you again. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Jim, especially My when pleasure. you've got a national briefing, uh, national security briefing, rather, coming up, which you do uh, this yeah. Sunday. Brad Johnson yes, is going to be your guest, and he, Brad is with us as well. Brad Johnson retired as a senior operations officer and chief of station with the CIA's Directorate of Operations. He has served, as, uh, served domestically and abroad with numerous assignments, often during periods of armed conflict, 
served overseas in direct support of the war against terrorism, and he joins us now as well on AM 1420, The Answer. Brad, thank you so much for your time, sir. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, let's start with you, since you're going to be the guest speaker for Jim's uh, event coming up on Sunday, and we'll tell people how they can be a part of that webinar as well in a bit. Uh, but let's talk about the CIA. Um, Brad, most of us, you know, typically and traditionally, have felt confidence in our federal intelligence agencies. Um, in the last four years, I think a lot of that confidence has waned because we have seen the politicization or the weaponization of the FBI, certainly through you know the very senior leadership from Director Comey through even now Director McCabe, uh, McCabe uh, uh, former assistant, or I'm sorry, Director Ray and former assistant Director McCabe, and uh, as well as you know Struck and Page and the whole uh-huh. nine yards, uh, we have seen CIA leadership as well also kind of become a little bit more politically active than interested in national security and national intelligence. Now, you obviously have a deep and long experience in that agency. What is going on? Why has there been such a change from security uh, and safety to politics in the agency? Yeah, well, you've summed it up beautifully. All, all of those things that you listed are, are absolutely correct, and, and this... Uh, uh, the 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 in uh, the politics that we have seen coming out of this this bitter partisan pol- political perspective that we've seen coming out of the leadership of the FBI is probably uh, worse out of the CIA and I I don't think I can imagine a more bitter partisan in the world than former CIA director John Brennan who goes on the news and just you know, spews hatred for President Trump and conservatives and and um, Republicans, so it's it's one of those things that's even worse there. And I would put it in the background too of the fact that John Brennan, during the Obama years, he was the CIA uh, director under President Obama, mm-hmm. actually eliminated the operations cadre in a program he called the Modernization. So the operations cadre in the CIA, those are the people that do espionage overseas. That went away. That was dissolved. So just imagine the, the equivalent in the military of the Air Force, and you just simply dissolve the, pilot, the cadre of pilots who learn how to fly aircraft, and that's what you had happen in the CIA. Unfortunately, it's a closed world enough that people just don't focus on that fact. But uh, the, the um, rumors are out there that there are, are some forthcoming indictments that we're going to see out of this investigation by uh, U.S. Attorney General Barr and, and U.S. Attorney John Durham that are going to hit by the end of August or so, and that's going to include some of these players, Clapper, Brennan, uh, the, the different uh, senior players at DOJ, FBI, and CIA. So you know, we'll see very shortly. I hope we're going to see very shortly. Before I go to Jim Simpson, follow up on that, because it was only two weeks ago, Brad, that well, we saw multiple reports uh, that said John Durham is likely to hold his findings until after the election, because to do it this close to the election is going to make it appear to be politicized. Yes, I've heard that as well. I, I don't know. U.S. Attorney uh, uh, Barr said about three weeks ago in an interview that these things would be forthcoming by the end of summer was, was his term, so therefore the end of August, roughly. Uh, so, yeah, there's reports pointing in each direction. There's reports that there'll be a long list of indictments, and there are the, the reports saying no indictments are even being considered. So it, it's just so hard to say. I think they're they're rightly so holding their cards very close to their chest. So we won't know until we know, I think. 
Yeah, that's that's probably very true. We're going to talk about Americans for Intelligence Reform in a second. But Jim Simpson, going back to what I said to Brad at the beginning, you know, we we as as a people need to be able to trust uh, our military. We need to be able to trust the Pentagon that they know what they're doing to protect us from invasion or to protect us from other from attacks or whatever the case might be. And likewise, we need to be able to trust our federal intelligence agencies to know what's going on inside of our country. To know that if uh, you know if there is um, uh, if there are threats against us us here in the homeland that they are being sniffed out that people are on the job and that people are concerned about justice first we take you know we go to bed and sleep well at night with the knowledge that these people are are doing their jobs um how can we be comfortable how can we sleep well at night when we see what you just heard brad johnson talking about from leadership of the intelligence agencies well we can't and honestly it's not true and it hasn't been true for decades back in the 80s when I really looked into this and realized what was going on, the intelligence uh, collection function of the CIA had already been uh, seriously compromised. I mean, it was compromised by the Church Committee, which blamed the CIA for what were essentially policy decisions made by politicians, for example, blaming the CIA for trying to assassinate Castro, when it was actually Robert and Kennedy and JFK who demanded that the CIA do this. And I know from my time in the bureaucracy that the bureaucracy follows directions. And the politicians are the ones who make the decisions, and uh, whether they're good decisions or bad decisions. But the bureaucrats are the ones that take the blame when the politicians' ideas fail. And that's what happened there. But then when when Stansfield Turner came in under uh, Jimmy Carter as the director of the CIA, he thoroughly undermined and destroyed the operation um, function to the extent that many of the old guard uh, operatives who were really seasoned and really good just basically walked off the job. And I'm sure Brad can confirm that for me. And into the 80s and the 90s, and I saw that, with the people that I interacted with, you know, like the director of enforcement for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, uh, these people are fools. They don't know what they don't know about our enemies, our enemies' abilities, our enemies' willingness. I was even shocked when the Secret Service guys that I dealt with in their budget hearing told me that they bragged to me that they had described to the KGB, who they had started working with after the supposed fall of the Soviet Union, they bragged about how they uh, told the KGB how they protected the president. And, you know, like like KGB was going to learn something from us, whereas we have lost presidents because of their inability, while the KGB has never lost anyone under their charge, unless... It was their intention to do so, in which case that person was dispatched very quickly. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jim Simpson is uh, one of the founders of Red Green Axis Exposed. He's also the author of two books on the Red Green Axis, which, of course, rever- uh, refers to the collaborative relationship and shared goals of communists and Islamists. Brad Johnson, again, is with us. He will be the guest speaker 
at the next webinar on Sunday, 7.30 p.m., and I'll tell you how you can watch that in a bit. But Brad Johnson, you also three years ago founded the nonprofit organization Americans for Intelligence Reform. Now, you outlined some of the problems with intelligence and the politicization of it uh, in your last comments, but tell us more about the organization and how it can help. Uh, okay, thank you. And that, and Jim, uh, that was the, the, the perfect example of how the deterioration of the CIA took place, and it continued from the Church Commission, and, and Jimmy Carter was, uh, was really set in stone under Bill Clinton and then completely consolidated under, under President Obama. And in between, very little was done with the exception of President Reagan until we find ourselves in the position that we're in today. And we all know that the politicization is completely out of control, or we would not have had all of these uh, attempts to get rid of President Trump through impeachment or investigation or whatever. So part of the problem is, or not, a centerpiece of that problem is exactly why uh, we're active at Americans for Intelligence Reform, because we have to get rid of that. Intelligence, by its nature, is supposed to be completely non-political. We go out into the world, find out what's going on and who's doing what to whom through whatever means necessary, and bring it back and hand it off to the leaders and not be involved after that point. It needs to be completely separate from policy because you don't want policy desires and intentions to infect your collection process. And this has all long ago destroyed uh when we started to co-locate and do all these things, and analysts were starting to meet directly with reporting sources, and analysts are involved in the direction of policy. And so the people that they would meet would, would get greater, greater credence, and they would start to pick the information that fits their desired outcome. And that process just got worse and worse and worse until it leads us today to where people are picking the outcome they want based on personal political desires. And then when a person like President Trump does not fit into those personal uh, uh, political desires, then we see what is, in essence, treason. And I think that that's where we've been led to today by this behavior that we see on the left in how they, how they view government bureaucracy. So this is a, a huge danger, and it stretches into every aspect of American life. And let me make one final little thing just to emphasize this and every four years there's a an intelligence overview report that's intended to come out when the president is inaugurated every four years this past one came out when president trump was first inaugurated and if you read through it which i i don't recommend anyone waste their time doing it i have done it for you and if you look at what they <laughs> emphasize and this is from all 17 intelligence agencies this is a huge government-wide document and what do they emphasize they emphasize that the, the United States needs to better integrate with global government, an extreme left idea from the very beginning, and uh, also global warming. Now, if you think those things are the greatest things since sliced bread, fine. You know, you're an idiot, but fine. You believe that? <laughs> Great. Go ahead. But that doesn't make them intelligence issues. Those are still political issues. So why yeah. is the intelligence community even expressing an opinion? And why are the opinions on those things so much more emphasized than terrorism? Answer me that, Mr. Intelligence Community, 17 agencies out there. Why would global warming be more emphasized than terrorism? Terrorism kills people. It kills innocent people. It kills our troops. 
That is the enemy. That's an example of the enemy. That's where our time and attention needs to be spent, not on goofball political issues. Jim, let me go back to you, because you and Brad both referenced, you know, the growth from Carter to Clinton to almost being perfected under Obama, but they were all interrupted by, you know, collectively 20 years of Republican leadership, eight years of Reagan and four of Bush and then eight more of the next Bush. But as as Brad just said, the Republican presidents did very little, save for Reagan, yeah. somewhat to interrupt uh, those yeah. those those goals. Um, why is that? And 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 I think Brad just said this is why it was so important for them to stop Trump because maybe he's somebody who could actually do that. But but twenty years of Republican leadership, uh, they could have put some of this down and never did. Yeah. Oh. Oh. No. A- absolutely not. You know, George H. W. Bush was. Uh, CIA director, but his role in the CIA was to um, smooth over ruffled feathers of those who were upset with the old guards insistent on doing things right. I mean, he made the CIA politically correct. I mean, that was basically what he, his whole deal was to was to, to, to make it all make it all work smoothly. And the only way you make things work smoothly when you're in the face of leftist onslaught is to give the left everything it wants. You know, the only time we really had any effort was under William Casey and Reagan administration. And he, of course, faced a bureaucracy that was dead set against him. And then when, um, uh, I forget, uh, Porter Goss, uh, who had been a, a CIA operations officer, took over at the CIA, he immediately faced stringent reactions from, from the bureaucracy uh, because he was, again, one of the old guards. He wanted to do it right, and they were dead set against him. And so the culture at the CIA has turned far left, and unfortunately that has permeated much of the military leadership as well. And so, you know, uh, I mean, I've heard people say we need to just wipe the agency out and start all over again. That's kind of almost the way I, what, the way I think we have to do, because the people that are in there now are bad, bad people. And it happened. It was going on in the 60s. It was going on in the 50s. It was going on as soon as the CIA was created, because the KGB realized that that was their main target to infiltrate and to subvert and destroy, and they've been working on it ever since, sending over fake fake, fake defectors, uh, passing misinformation, and many of the people in the CIA buy into this stuff simply as a way to advance their career. Oh, here's a great defector that we found. Uh, Let's listen to him. Well, in the meantime, he's passing total misinformation or disinformation, it's just beyond belief. Well, you know, whether the agency itself has to be destroyed and reconstructed or just reformed, I guess, is is what we'll have to wait and see. For now, we do know that there is Americans for Intelligence Reform that is on the job. That's Brad Johnson's organization. Uh, So again, Brad will be the guest of Jim Simpson. And Red Green Axis Exposed at the next webinar, National Security Briefing. It's Sunday. It's at 7.30. And you have to have a Zoom link to be able to watch it. You can only get a Zoom link by emailing 
Uh, this address, RGA, which stands for Red Green Axis, so just make this simple, RGA at EagleFireMail.com. Write that down now. Save it in your phone. Do what you got to do. But email RGA at EagleFireMail.com to get a link to the Zoom meeting, the webinar that is going to be held by Jim and by Brad Johnson on Sunday night at 730. And I want to thank you both for what you're doing, uh, for your service to the country, uh, and thank you both for your time coming on the program today. Jim Simpson and Brad Johnson, thank you so much. Thanks for having us, Bob. It's a pleasure. Brad, I look forward to hearing from you uh, during the webinar on Sunday. Uh, I'm going to be tuning into that myself. Thank you, Brad. All right, uh, it's uh, 10.53. We'll take our final time out and come in and see if we can squeeze a call or two in before the top of the hour right here on AM 1420, The Answer. That's my favorite promo running right now. (laughs) Is this the button to get another Diet Coke or to launch the nuke? Biden is so completely lost. I mean, I'm sorry to make fun of a man's dementia and his advanced uh, uh, problems, his cognitive problems, but oh my goodness. It's real, man. That's that's what you're asking for. Um, by the way, I uh, want to remind you, you've got to see Uncle Tom if you haven't done it yet. This is such an extraordinarily important thing right now as we... Uh, fight our way through this racial division in this country right now. Uncle Tom is the movie that the uh, Democrats don't want you to see. The stars are the people they don't want you to hear. Black people with conservative viewpoints. They don't want you to hear that. Their stories are amazing. Uh, You need to check it out, seriously. Go to UncleTom.com, buy it on pay-per-view, save 20% off that cost by using the promo code Cleveland. UncleTom.com, if you've got the courage to discover the truth about black conservatives. Make sure that you log on and watch that. Uh, Quick call here before we're done. Debbie in Olmstead Township on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Debbie. Go right ahead. Hi. Thank you. This morning, I had to take my car up for an emissions test. So I went over to Westlake, the one on Sperry, Mm -hmm. and I drove in, and the guy, I rolled my window down. The guy comes, he says, you need to have a mask on. And I said, well, I don't have one with me. Well, you need a mask on. I said, I don't have one. I stared straight ahead, and the Spurry Road emissions place is in a wooded area. And I said, you know what? Uh, I can go wait in the woods over there. He said, yeah, okay. So I got uh, oh, out of my wait. car. <laughs> You're kidding I me. Wait. No. And I waited in the woods for my car. Now, mind you, he had to get in my car that I was sitting in <laughs> Where everything you that you've what? touched it's, and it's, it's a funny, it's funny, but it's not. And you no, know what? I and I'm not laughing at you. Of course, I'm. La- thank no, you for I the know. call, Debbie. I've got to go here, but I'm laughing with you about the absurdity of it all. Thank you for sharing the story. Uh, I look forward to more stories being shared tomorrow because it will be a free for all Friday. Except Dr. Sherry Tenpenny will be with us. You're not going to want to miss that conversation. We'll see you then. Bye bye.